This Week on Art on the Air features longtime region actor Linda Wachinski discussing her upcoming one-woman show, Love Linda, along with Toll Theater Managing Director Jeff Casey. Next, we have Rebecca Prouse, the founder of Reesco Pottery, discussing her own creative art journey. Our spotlight is on the Tom Foolery Fun Club's 2023 events with Tom Bilek and Miss Michelle. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Mary. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Welcome. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM and WVLP 103.1 FM. Our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art on the Air is heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming at WVLP.org, and every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, also streaming live at LakeshorePublicRadio.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Information about Art on the Air is available on our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our shows are available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for more information about upcoming shows and interviews. We'd like to welcome to Art on the Air Spotlight. Well, we've had him here before, and you're well familiar with him from the Tom Foolery Fun Club, returning to a whole bunch of activities in 2023. Uh, Tom Bilek, and of course, the power behind the throne, Miss Michelle. Welcome back to Art on the Air Spotlight. Hi, Larry. Hi, Esther. How are you? Thank you for having me. Well, we want to talk about what you have happening in 2023. I know it's been, you've had some events coming out of COVID, but you've got a whole calendar of events coming up. So let's go ahead and hit on some of those. Well, we do. We've got a full slate coming up here starting in uh, February. Um, Michelle, the the power and uh, (laughs) electricity behind the uh, operation here. Uh, And I have, uh, we've, we usually try to space these out a little bit, but uh, somehow these just ran back to back to back starting in mid-February. Um, we have three events. We'll be in Michigan City on February 18th. We'll be in Lockport on the 25th of February, and then we'll be in Highland, Indiana on March 4th. So bang, 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 we're ready to go. And of course, the March 4th is your anniversary, isn't that at uh, where you started kind of doing this? Yes, that's our uh, be our ninth anniversary, right, Michelle? Yes, we're excited. It's um, it's lasted a long time. It's been a labor of love and a lot of fun. Indeed, we've we've grown a lot, and uh, you know we thought we'd be at radio mu- music, uh, radio city music hall by now, but we're back at Langley's <laughs> on ninth uh, anniversary. But that's okay. We love going back there. We do one show a year there. It's great energy, 
and uh, Rodney Langell and uh, and his staff take great, great care of us. And the pizza is terrific. And actually, some of our best shows have been at Langell's, and uh, we, we want to keep that going. Great. Well, let's go back to the February show. That's going to be at the Oric Shrine in Michigan City. And tell us some of the people we uh, can expect to see there and maybe even some of your other shows. Okay. Well, this is our uh, our fourth year at uh, Oric Shrine. It's a big fundraising event for the Shriners. And they have a beautiful facility in Michigan City, and uh, they do a great job of, of packing the house, and uh, we bring the fun. And uh, again, this will be our, our fourth time there. Uh, we have four comedians and a live band, and it's going to be so much fun. We've got uh, comedians John McCombs, Colleen Brennan, Vic Pandya, and Adam Minnick, uh, all very fine, very fine comedians. And uh, they'll be bringing the laughs, and on the musical front will be... The Hots. I like that band. That's one of my favorite bands. We've <laughs> got the Hots. We've got the Hots. I've got the Hots for Michelle, and Michelle loves the Hots. So. <laughs> you guys are fun. And, of course, uh, you guys emcee the show, so that's what really what makes it uh, lively, doesn't it? Well, we're the we're the free part of the show. Nobody pays to see uh, Tom. Uh, well, maybe they pay to see Michelle. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> uh, we're kind of the meeting planners, but we have uh, – professionals that actually uh, do things this for a living and uh, that's where they come into play you know something i've been meaning to ask you and uh, all the time is what was the origin of starting the tomfoolery fund club i mean you know it's what, what happened to say okay let's what we, let's do this thing yes well i always like to tell that story can i share it Tom? You sh- please <laughs> so um tom and i you know we're kind of new in our relationship just meeting each other and we were out and about and there was a sports bar we were sitting at and there were a lot of tvs on and even i knew that what was on the tvs were reruns reshows of, right. of sporting events and so i just thought well i'm gonna turn to tom and we're gonna have a conversation we're just gonna start so i always like to ask people like if money was not any consideration what would you be doing what, what do you want to do and so he looked at me like he was hesitant to really share his deepest inner secrets. Um, but he did. And he said, you know what? I, I always thought of starting a comedy show. I just wanted to start. Um, I just wanted to do a comedy show. And I said, well, why aren't we doing that? And so that's how it all started. We just asked, <laughs> I just asked him a question. He said he wanted to do a comedy show. I said, let's go. And you're not really a comedian yourself. I mean, you're, I know you for, for, for some time and you're pretty funny and yeah. little guy, but you're not really a stand-up comic in and of yourself. Uh, keeping in mind, neither Michelle or myself had any uh, entertainment background whatsoever. Uh, Michelle, a, a, a former uh, first grade school teacher, and I, a pharmaceutical sales manager. Uh, but we both like to have fun, and we we both like uh, attention, don't we, Michelle? So but we thought, <laughs> hey, let's let's do this, you know. Uh, so we just basically uh, organically found some uh, some comedians and a band and put it together. Uh, with the intention, full intention, it was just going to be a one-time deal, and uh, people came and they they enjoyed it and they wanted to they wanted more. So we kept uh, doing it, and now after uh, almost nine years, and I've I've lost track. We're somewhere in between 125 and 150 shows. I uh, lost track a couple of years ago, to be honest with you. Uh, but we enjoy it, and as Michelle said, it it really is a labor of love for us. Um, although we have made uh, how much money have we made at this, Michelle? Oh, my goodness. We've made hundreds of dollars, Larry. Hundreds. hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> Several hundred. We do very well. Well, before we let you go, you have a new venture that we like to talk about, and it's really not art-related, but it's kind of interesting, and I think it might be interesting to our audience. And talk about that down in Crown Point, Tom. 
Indeed. Well, uh, I, I'm affiliated with a uh, collegiate level uh, summer developmental baseball team. It's called the Lake County Corn Dogs. And this is our second year in existence. Last year, I did the public address announcing. And this year, I've taken on the role of general manager and uh, working with local businesses to help uh, with the Corn Dogs mission of building community through baseball. And it's a lot of fun, and it's a, it's a great product. Actually, the, the team on the field won the league championship its very first year uh, in existence, and it's been terrific. All right, and you have some uh, history with baseball? Uh, well, yeah, I do have a little bit of a history, uh, uh, although my career peaked at age 12, which is uh, slightly <laughs> over half a century ago. I played on the 1972 Little League World Series team from Hammond, Indiana, the Hammond Edison team. Excellent. Well, we're just about ready to wrap it up. So tell us once again about your dates coming up for the Tom Foolery Fund Club returning. We're in uh, Michigan City on the 18th of February, uh, Lockport, which is we've, we've sold out the Lockport show on February 25th. And then we'll be in Langles at Langles in Highland on um, March 4th. Well, we appreciate you coming on Art of the Year Spotlight. Tom Bilek and Miss Michelle, the Tom Foolery Fun Club. Don't miss it. They are fun events. Take care and thank you for sharing. Yeah, it feels good to laugh. Thank you. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, Esther. Thank you so thank much. You. Art on the Air Spotlight and the full one-hour Art on the Air program on Lakeshore Public Radio is brought to you by Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. And as a reminder, if you'd like to have your event on Art on the Air Spotlight or have a longer feature interview, email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, and on WVLP 103.1 FM. I love Paris every moment. Every moment of the year. We would like to welcome Linda Wiltinski and Jeff Casey to Art on the Air. Linda has been performing throughout Northwest Indiana for 41 years. She will be starring in Love, Linda, The Life of Linda Porter, a one-woman production being presented at the Toll Theater. It is a candid life journey through song and story of Linda Porter's marriage to Cole Porter. Jeff is back again with us. He is the managing director of the Toll Theater and heavily involved in the Northwest Indiana arts community. We thank you, Linda and Jeff, for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome. It's so good to see you. It's nice to meet you. Thanks for having yes, us. Nice meeting you. Well, Linda, we're going to start with you. We This is kind of about you being love, Linda. You'll be our own love, Linda, here. But we want to hear, <laughs> we want to hear your origin story. And, uh, of course, I know it a little bit for knowing you over these years in theater and stuff like that, though I've never directed you anything. I, we, we've been on shows that I either a lighting designer, but I want to hear that. How you got from where you were to where you are now. So, Linda, tell us about yourself. Well, I... Uh didn't have much of a high school theater program. So I ventured into community theater in 1982 was my first show. Uh, that first show was at Ross Summer Music Theater in Maryville. And that was my chosen first theater because it's where I actually saw my very first show. And I can still walk into that theater and tell you where I sat for that first <laughs> show because I was mesmerized when the curtain went up. And I've been kind of mesmerized ever since. <laughs> so I started doing shows there during the summers and then ventured out into virtually every other community theater in Northwest Indiana, with the exception of Valpo. Valparaiso is the one place I haven't worked, but I've, I've worked from 
Crown Point to Maryville to Highland to Hammond to Michigan City um, and have been enjoying every aspect of it. When I was in my early 20s, I would go from show to show to show. Larry, you know that. You you saw them or <laughs> part of them. Um, but, uh, but as I've gotten older, I've gotten a, a little more picky about what I will do. Um, and in large part because I think that there are far less roles available for women of my age. And, um, and so I'm going to be a little more particular about what I do. And I've been fortunate that uh, this is now the second experience I've had at the toll where they've been gracious enough to let me do a one-woman show. The last show I did here was in 19, excuse me, uh, 2018, which was Vivian Lee, the last press conference, uh, which was also a one-woman show. That was actually the last time I was on stage. So me venturing back on stage again is a, a little daunting, but it's with people that I know and trust and love. Um, and the opportunity to sing Cole Porter's music and really tell people this amazing story that people really don't realize um, is is a gift that I hope people have a greater appreciation, not just for Cole Porter's music, which is obviously spectacular, but about this extraordinary woman who supported him and loved him. And really, she was the driving force for him to become the Cole Porter that we all knew. Um, so, so I'm thrilled to be back at the toll. Um, and, and maybe one of these days I'll get out there to Valparaiso and do a show. We'll see. <laughs> so, so I understand, you know, we've had like the three years of the pandemic and you said you, it's been five years since you've been on stage. So that mm-hmm. leaves a couple years before that. So what informed your, were you not finding the roles that were interesting to you at that point and decided to step back or? Oh, I think it's a lot of different things. You know, as you get older, life gets in the way, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a wonderful hobby that I've. For about two seconds in my early 20s, I thought about making it a job Mm -hmm. uh, and realized I was pretty thin skinned and probably wouldn't have the success that I would I would want to find. Um, So the opportunity to continue doing community theater afforded me the opportunity to play roles I would never get professionally. And and I still love it so much. But work gets in the way and. Social life gets in the in the way. You know, when you're younger, your social life is community theater. And as you get older, you're quite content to maybe just go out to dinner and have a cocktail or get together. <laughs> you know, and also I think, uh, and a lot of people roll their eyes at me when I say this, but as I've gotten older, it, it gets a little more daunting and scary to step on stage. Uh, you know, when you're younger, you don't know any better. <laughs> when you're older, you realize this is a big chance I'm taking. So between opportunities or things that just didn't interest me and my work-life balance, um, those situations just didn't present themselves to me during that time period. So, uh, And I've been so blessed to play more once-in-a-lifetime roles than anybody should that I, I'm not going to complain about the fact that I don't always find roles that interest me anymore. <laughs> I know. It's, it's quite a full bio you have. So I'm actually going to take you back to childhood. Okay. Um, and so as 
growing up, there's always, you know, the actress in the family or the one that's always asked to perform or you perform plays as a family, little skits. Were you that person in school and in the family? I most definitely was. Um, (laughs) And not saying my siblings weren't as well. There were five of us kids. So we were always entertaining each other and and making fun of each other. Um, So that kind of is a nice framework for developing uh, the ability to to think on your feet, but I and started, to survive <laughs> and to survive. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I went to Catholic grade school and high school. And my first big role was playing the Virgin Mary in the first grade Christmas pageant. There you go. Well, <laughs> I was someplace. clearly I was clearly very convincing because then in second grade, what did I get to play? Yes, the Virgin Mary in the second grade Christmas pageant. Um, and then when I was in uh, Girl Scouts, they had a what they called a Juliet Low like gathering for all Girl Scouts around the the area and at times the country. And I was supposed to be a lowly milk carton in a, a play about recycling. Well, the King Litterbug of the group got sick three days before, and I had to learn the part and go on. And I think that's why to this day, I'm really particular about memorizing my lines and being prepared and ready because I had to jump in. That was my big shot. And uh, and that's that was the groundwork for, for everything I do today still. <laughs> <laughs> what was that first show at uh, Ross Summer Music Theater that you saw that kind of inspired you? It was Bye Bye Birdie. Ah. It was Bye Bye Birdie. And then my first show that I actually did there was Guys and Dolls. And I was, you know, 357th course member on the left that pointed at buildings that weren't there. But I <laughs> thought I was a star. And then a couple of years later, actually, they were doing Bye Bye Birdie again. And I auditioned and I got to play Ursula Merkel. Oh. And and. 41 years later, I can still quote my my big line from that show. So <laughs> All right, clearly, give it to us. <laughs> okay, are you ready? Yeah. Sure. It was, speak to us, oh beautiful one. Tell us how you make that glorious sound that even now in anticipation of it has reduced me to a snarling, raging, panting jungle beast. Oh my gosh. Excellent. That was it, and the star was born. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff... Um, when you decided this 23 season, which I think you mentioned to us, it's your 20th anniversary. Um, did Was it Linda that popped into your mind right away? It, it was. So uh, we, my partner, my business partner and life partner, Kevin, and I decided that we wanted to take it as easy as possible on ourselves for our 20th anniversary season. So we decided fairly early that the entire season would be precast so that we didn't have to go through the turmoil and the stress of holding auditions and praying that the right people show up. And so when we decided that, then it was like, well, what would we want to do? And, and again, keeping with the theme of making it as easy on us as possible, who would we want to work with, especially for, a first show and Linda was such a hit when she was Vivian Lee in the last press conference. Our subscribers loved her. Our donors loved her. She drew in so many community theater people who either hadn't been to the toll in a while or some who had never been to the toll to see a show. So we thought, you know, it would be a great kickoff of the season. So that was, 
what we first approached her about was doing Love Linda. And it just, the title seems perfect, right? I mean, (laughs) Linda Walshinsky, it just kind of made sense. And then we discovered the little show Sidekicked, which is about the life of Vivian Vance. So another Vivian, which is also a one woman show. So then we were like, would you be lovely and gracious and generous and crazy enough to open and close the 20th anniversary season. <laughs> so at exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah. We're super excited. Hey, Jeff, I, while we got you here, why don't you tell us a little bit about the background and history of Toll and, you know, over the years and how long you've, you know, obviously been around, but, you know, the starting point and where you are, <laughs> how you got from where you are to where you are now with the theater. Sure. So uh, I was working for South Shore Arts uh, at the time that Mayor uh Deedlow, who was the former mayor of Hammond, reached out to myself and a group of people about the prospect of starting a theater in downtown Hammond using the casino money that was a sudden influx into the uh, the coffers of Hammond. And so I sat in on a few meetings as sort of a steering committee type of thing. And then when the project kept moving forward and kept moving forward, uh, Dwayne asked me if I would consider throwing my hat in the ring to be the managing director of the toll. I loved my job at South Shore Arts. So I, of course, immediately went to my former boss, John (laughs) Kane, and said, I have this opportunity. And he said, Jeff, you're a theater guy. You would be crazy not to take this opportunity. So I did. I started in 2003, July of 2003. And I've been here 70 hours a week, every week since, (laughs) uh, running the theater. I absolutely love it. Of course, I also did community theater. That's how we met Linda 35 years ago. Uh, Kevin and Linda were in a production of Do Black Patent Leather Shoes Really Reflect Up out at Dune Summer Theater. So we all met then and spent the whole summer together because Mm -hmm. Kevin and I lived just a few blocks from Dunes out in Michigan City and Long Beach and Linda just would crash because it was easier. Uh, So we've been steadfast friends since and... uh, The past 20 years have been a blur and a dream uh, and a labor of love here at the Toll. Getting to create theater every day is a dream come true. Right. Oh, my gosh. That's the sweetest story. Um, Tell us a little bit about some of the roles you had. I know one of them that we worked together on was Sweeney Todd, which was kind of like the real debut at uh, the Center for Vision Performing Arts before they had their own real theater program. But uh, you were involved in that also. Yeah, we both were. I, I, I I I was blessed to be cast as Tobias. Yeah. Uh, the little street urchin guy getting to sing with an orchestra and Trish Hales at the helm was amazing. The most remarkable thing about that production is our ensemble. They were all like Northwest Indiana theater stars. Like the whole ensemble was like stars. Linda, Kevin Bellamy, John Carr, all these people with magnificent voices. It was such an amazing production. Linda and I played Matt and Louisa. In the Fantastics together. Yes, we did. Uh, back at the Dunes. Uh, Linda has played my mom. I have. That's what I've said <laughs> over the years. I Over the years, I on stage, I've dated him. I've married him. I've had his child. I've played his mother. Um, but the difference was he had to spray the gray out of his hair, and I had to spray it in my hair. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you know, it's, it sounds like uh, while we're just, well, on the toll, why don't you maybe hit some of the high points of what you got coming up in between the uh, two Linda's uh, performances. <laughs> the two Linda shows. So coming up in May, we have a comedy. It's called Women in Jeopardy. And I've read uh, literally hundreds of scripts over the years. It's the funniest 
comedy to read that I've ever read. It is hilarious. It's contemporary. It's fast paced. It's written so well for contemporary dialogue. It, it's written like people talk today. And I think a lot of writers forget when they're writing for contemporary theater to actually get the cadence and the pace right. and the rhythm of how people speak normally every day. Uh, and this script hits the nail on the head. So that's a, a great comedy. And again, we're bringing back some of our favorite people that we've worked with over over the years to do that show. This summer we're presenting, it's a, a small a chamber opera, rock opera called Murder Ballad. Ah. Uh, it's four people. It's a fantastic show. We've wanted to present this show for a very long time, but again, being able to remove the aspect of holding auditions and not being sure who you're going to get because the show is very specific with the talent needs for the show, with the vocal ranges, even the types you need for the show. So once once the shackles of needing to audition were removed and we were like, oh, if we just ask whoever we want, sure. yeah. uh, as long as they say yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Murder Ballad will be on our stage this summer. Uh, and I don't. I don't want people to be turned off by the term rock opera. It's it's the music is very easy to listen to. It's just it's rock presented in a very theatrical style. So it's accessible to everybody. And then we'll wrap up with Sidekicked. Uh, Linda will return to our stage to to finish our subscription series out. And then something brand new to our stage, a, a very talented young actor that we've worked with on a couple of shows. Jim LaPietra, he has created a one-man version of A Christmas Carol. Oh. And uh, different Grant Fitch. We all know Grant Fitch. Right. He's local. Grant has a, a production of that as well. J the difference between Jim and Grant's productions, Jim approaches it from the original way that uh, Charles Dickens used to go into ladies' literary circles and narrate the story rather than inhabit all of the characters although he yeah, does a very little bit good. of that right so so we're very excited to to close out the 20th anniversary season with that holiday offering excellent linda is there any role that you have not played that you want to play ooh i can't wait to hear yeah well, I'll tell you that the main one i've auditioned for it three times and never gotten cast and now i'm too old sadly but i've done into the woods three times. Right. And I have auditioned for the baker's wife each and every time. And every single time I've gotten the witch. I'm trying not <laughs> to take it personally, uh, <laughs> but the witch is the most amazing role. Oh, and it every is. Time I, I'm thrilled that I, that I got it. Uh, but I, one of those times I should have said that I, I would only take the baker's wife and see if that might've hedged my bet a little bit more to get me that baker's wife. But, uh, I'm trying to think otherwise roles that I haven't played. I would like to play Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd at mm -hmm. some point in time. Uh, and I think that there's still time for that, but it's that's very difficult for a lot of theaters to do oh, with yes. regard to space or, or even just the access to talent and the musicians. So again, that's one that I might have to put on the, the shelf for forever or just sing it around my house and get enough satisfaction <laughs> out of that. <laughs> Put that costume on. and <laughs> that's, that's right. I have, a, I have a lot of costumes in my costume closet. Really, I could just invite everybody over every night <laughs> and do a different scene from it. Ask people to learn parts of it with hey, me. Hey, Jeff, it sounds like a good fundraiser opportunity <laughs> to me. Wow, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you see, hey, Esther. Hey, wait a minute, Esther. Let me get through these two and then we'll talk about something after that. Is there 
And you know, seeing Linda in the interview here, she keeps saying about like she's too old, but she looks still like a kid to me. So I mean, I, I mean, it's like I, I've been hearing her say that. Oh, I'm too old for this. I'm too old. For that. Oh, no, you're not. So well, but but the thing is, at at 55 years old, I claim my age. You know, I've been doing this for 41 years, and and the reality is, sadly, in theater. Most meaty roles that interest me and meaty not just for dramatics, but for comedy or, or whatever the situation is, they're written for younger people. And and the roles that are written for older people, like I'm too old to play the mom in most shows. And quite simply, I'm not ready to play the grandma role yet. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with those roles, but I just mentally and emotionally cannot go there yet. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. I, having, having done theater myself for like 41 years and everything and pretty much stepped out of it when I retired and started doing other things like this. But uh, mm-hmm. I think we'll have to put the call out to playwrights to start focusing on um, uh, women in their different stages of life and age. <laughs> I agree. Absolutely. Well, I also think that a lot of the writers need to start focusing on really new, innovative ideas as opposed to, God bless them, you know, all these stories about musicians that, and again, I'm saying that as I'm playing Linda Porter, <laughs> but the, the, the shows like Cher and Michael Jackson and, and all those things, which are wonderful and creative and Tina Turner. Mind you, I haven't really seen any of those. But it just seems like there's this whole area of theater that is suddenly being ignored by just wanting to tell other stories. And right. I think that the, the creative, creative avenue um, is is lacking something right now. And I think that includes stories about that include women of a certain age. Sure. <laughs> it, it's in music too. I mean, uh, somebody with a tribute band will fill the house where live yes. performance does not necessarily. Yep, I, so. I agree. Yeah. And that's the problem. And I don't consider this show this way, but jukebox musicals are commercial successes because you have a built-in audience wanting to listen mm-hmm. to that music and what goes on in the story can be cobbled together and everything so it's yeah you're right the uh yeah we need to have more and of course i'm a big fan of musicals you know that's actually what my doctorate was in is about musical theater the history and why it deserves to be treated seriously and jeff looking ahead for next season you have anything on the thing or you're just too much into this one so far no no we're we've already started of course because you you kind of have to you want to get those contracts in and get everything uh get everything contracted up and on the slate because technically you can't start advertising until you've signed a contract right with the royalty houses. So we're looking at a few things. We actually, um, we might be introducing some new staff to the toll this year that will help us move the artistic engine forward. So uh, we're right now we're in the process of reading shows for next year. Okay. So uh, we'll leave that cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounds a good, like a great a good cliffhanger. one. <laughs> Well, we only have about a couple minutes left here, but we want to make sure uh, to just talk a little bit more about the show and then also about the, uh, you know, the dates. Uh, show dates, tickets, how to get there, how to get to Toll Theater in case someone's listening to the show and, hey, they don't know where it's at. Yeah, so um, I'll throw out a couple of things about the show. First of all, as Linda mentioned, it's Cole Porter music. So what's not to like? It's this unknown story of this incredible woman who who was in an un 
an unconventional no. relationship before people knew what that was. Sure. <laughs> and they made it work. They were madly in love with each other. Uh, and and it, so it's beautiful. So, so all of those reasons, it makes it just a great evening or afternoon of theater. It's also what I would call a Valentine. It's a Valentine from her to Cole Porter right. through stories about their lives and, and his music. Uh, the show opens on Friday, February 23rd. We run two weekends only. I will say that the opening Sunday matinee, the 26th of February, is almost sold out, like less than a half a dozen tickets left. Wow. So if people want to come, and they, especially if they're matinee goers, uh, please get your tickets early. The phone number for the box office is 219-937-8780. I will also add to accommodate matinee demand, we have switched the show on Saturday, March 4th from an evening show to a matinee show. So it's not a double show day, but it is a matinee that day. So we have three matinee opportunities and three evening opportunities. The website is tolltheater.org and all the information is on the website and on Facebook at Toll Theater. Well, you know, we appreciate it. And this is kind of a reunion for me, for you guys and everything, because uh, we go back uh, crossing paths during theater. But we really appreciate uh, Jeff Casey, a managing director of the Toll Theater. And we're coming up with Love, Linda, and, of course, Linda Wachinski will be in Love, Linda. Thank you so much for coming on Art of the Air and sharing everything about the upcoming show. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you You're the top. Oh, <laughs> good. Good night, Esther. Love it. When I'm close to you, dear. Stars fill the sky So in love with you am I You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM and on WVLP 103.1 FM. We would like to welcome Rebecca Graves Prost to Art on the Air. Rebecca grew up in an atmosphere of entrepreneurs. After decades in a corporate creative capacity, she embarked on a long winding road as she found her way to ceramics. Her ceramic business is Gravesco Pottery. Rebecca combines a strong design and business sense to create functional ceramic pieces that are elegant with a touch of amusement and whimsy. Thank you, Rebecca, for joining Larry and I on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome. Hi. Hello. Thank so, you for having me. Oh, it, so excited. It's so glad to have you. So like we like to start with most of our guests, Rebecca, we'd like to find out your origin story, uh, you know, everything about how you got there. And I always like to say how you got from where you were to where you are now. So tell us about yourself. All right. Well, when I was four, I announced that I'm going to be an artist. And <laughs> I pretty much stuck through that. There was a little blip in seventh grade where I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, but I realized I just wanted to learn how to write upside down like my mom's lawyer in their divorce. So once I mastered that, <laughs> I was over the lawyer thing. <laughs> Turns out my fat- infatuation with being a lawyer was art related. Yes. Um, <laughs> I went to uh, public schools in Toledo, Ohio, and we had amazing art programs. Like there was one year, I think fifth grade, sixth grade, my parents put me in private school and they took me right back out because they didn't have a developed art program. And they knew that that was not going to work for me. Um, Growing up by the Toledo Art Museum, on top of art classes in school, I was in art classes at the Toledo Art Museum. I was taking University of Toledo art classes while I was in high school. I went to Whitmer High School. We had six full-time art teachers in the fine arts department. Plus, they had a commercial arts department. Wow. So I took 
all the art classes you can ever imagine, except for ceramics, never touched clay. <laughs> Ninth grade, like art basics. I did one clay project. The kid next to me didn't follow directions. His blew up. It took mine with it. I was like, screw this. I'm never doing that again. I was over the whole art thing. Um, and I ended up getting a scholarship to uh, Otis Parsons in New York. And I didn't go. I wasn't 18 yet. And my parents wouldn't let me go to New York. They were like, nope, you're going to get dead in the street. That's not going to work. So I went to a community college for a year, took all the art classes that they offered. They had working artists as the art instructors. And I discovered through like the logical side of my brain that not only do I necessarily want to be a, not be a fine artist, I wanted to be more of a designer. And I started doing commercial graphics. Um, I really loved creating environments and I didn't want to do interior design. I kind of accidentally fell into visual merchandising at the department store that I was working in. And I said, I'm done with school. I got the job that I want. And I'm not going to be $100,000 in debt if I drop out now. Um, so I started doing that job. And by the time I was 23, I was a regional director for the department store doing visual merchandising for 31 stores. Wow. Excellent. Absolutely loved it. Like It took care of that design engineering side of my brain, the logic side of my brain. But I got to create entire environments in these departments and then teach people how to do it in their own stores. And I loved it. So that's kind of where I landed up until I was 37 and then went, I'm done with this. I'm going to go be a full-time artist now and quit the corporate job. And I was living in an old church at the time in Northwest Ohio and decided I'm going to be an artist. Did not know what that meant because that is such a broad range of things. And I was just trying all the things. So through that whole corporate career on the side, I had a side hustle doing art. And every year it was something different. It was fiber. It was goldsmithing. It was printmaking. It was jewelry making. It was just all kinds of different things. And I hadn't done any writing really. So after I quit the job, I um, was doing consulting for retail stores couple months out of the year to pay the bills and exploring different things. And I kind of accidentally landed in writing patterns for hand knitters and writing books for a yarn company, which led me to art directing the books because they didn't really have anybody. And I'm just like, well, sure, I can do that. And in the process of planning the photo shoot for these books, I wanted cool sweater, cool buttons for the sweaters talked to a friend who's a ceramics prof. He said, I'm not going to have a student make those for you. Come make them yourself. I went into the studio and I made these clay buttons and that was it. Like I was sunk. <laughs> I was completely sunk. A um, couple months later, I went to visit a friend down in Paducah, Kentucky that I had met on one of these um, retail consulting jobs. And he said, come spend a week with me in my studio. I will teach you clay things. You teach me marketing things. Sure. I left there and I was like, I'm blowing my life up. I'm going to do this now. This is, I'm a potter. This is it. <laughs> I don't know what that means exactly, but I'm going to figure it out. And over the last 12 years of being a full-time potter, I've kind of figured out what it means to me for now. I'm sure it will continue to evolve because there's so much to learn. 
So describe those first buttons. I won't bite. Yeah. I'm... Yeah. <laughs> what did well, they the look first, like? The first thing he had me do was come in and make stamps. So the first buttons were made with these little handmade ceramic stamps. So I went into an, like one of their open art nights at the college and I made a whole bunch of ceramic or clay stamps that he bisque fired for me. And I went back uh, two weeks later and I made all of the buttons and they were all relatively small, round-esque with these stamped texture stamps on them. And there was one that was like a waffle texture. And there were some that were kind of like ancient symbology. And I just... He said, make a few stamps. I made like 40. Yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't know what they were going to look like with glaze on them. So I made all the stamps. Um, so, yeah, they were just kind of neutral colors and really rich texture. And I fell in love with the way the glaze breaks over the high points and pools in the low points. And I spent a year just making like little buttons and pins and tiles and wall tiles. I had one that went viral on Pinterest at one point um, and people, you know, like calling me and asking for wholesale. And I'm like, I, this isn't a real business. I don't know. So then this I had to kind of figure out how to make it a business. <laughs> and oh, that's like, so cool. like your website and things like that with your marketing background, do you do that yourself and uh, your yeah. other? Okay. Yep. I have, uh, Justin helps me now. He's on our team. Um, he's learning some of the studio side of things, but he's a graphic designer and he's been helping take some of the graphic design piece off my plate, which has been wonderful. And he understands enough of the background of the website as well to be just as dangerous as I am. So I now have a partner in crime on that process, but we do everything in house. Yeah, it's it's a great website. It's very easy to navigate and everything. So it's it's great, and you can see your things and see everything about that. So thank you. So can you take us to the beginnings of um, starting your pottery business? Yeah, so you've learned from this friend in his studio, and what's your next step? Yeah. So the next step was I came back to Ohio, and I, I literally blew up my life. My husband and I split after eighteen years together, and it was amicable. It was a good thing. We were just both like we're going different directions. He wanted stability. And I'm like, Hey, I'm almost 40. I'm blowing my life up. Um, so we did that. I closed the gallery that I had in Ohio and my friend, Steve, who's the ceramic prof who told me to make my own buttons was retiring and moving to his lake house. And he had this house in Nay, Ohio out in the middle of cornfields with a big barn with a studio in it. And he said, I want to move to the lake full time. While the house is on the market, why don't you just live there for the cost of utilities, use my studio, figure out if you even want to do this, figure out what your voice is, and you just have to do enough work to, you know, cover the cost of utilities and your groceries. So I did that, and it was right after the housing market had crashed. So, I mean, unfortunately for him, but fortunate for me, it took a little over a year for the house to sell. And in that time, I spent a lot of time failing at ceramics like sometimes spectacularly. And by so the what time does that mean? Does that mean things blew up in the kiln? Did that mean that you, I don't Not know. Not so to... much that, because it turns out that when things blow up in the kiln, it's because you put it in wet. Um, so I learned that pretty early on. It was more playing with the engineering of the pieces and like really figuring out what structure it needs to have to withhold the pressure of its own weight. While right. it's drying. Not all teapots work like they should. 
for sure. Right. Right. <laughs> and then there's little things like the lip of a cup. If it's if it's too chunky, it's going to be a dribbler. Right. If it's angled the wrong way, it's hard to drink from. So I kind of figured out those things and was going to art festivals and testing out other potters things and collecting pottery and seeing what I liked and didn't like and working with Steve's lifetime collection of things he'd picked up and you know what do I like about a handle which ones are hard to hold on to which ones balance well because at heart I am a designer before I am an artist all of those functional pieces were deeply important to me and then once I kind of figured out the direction that I wanted to go at that time I was carving all of my pieces so I was doing scraffito work working on white clay I would make the form cover it in a black slip and then carve through to the white clay with tools. Um, I discovered about two years in that that's not a sustainable art form no, it's <laughs> at all. <laughs> it's it's so beautiful. <laughs> but it's not going to give me a lifestyle. Um, so I started figuring out, like, now how can I use that as an accent piece and what does a really simple, beautiful, classic, timeless product line look like? that I actually enjoy making. And so I was maybe three and a half, four years in when I started embarking on playing with glazes more, figuring out what solid glazes I liked, textures I liked, firing programs that worked for me and coming up with some versatility so that not only was I mixing my own glazes, but maybe I only have two glaze bases. So I don't have to have a hundred different glaze materials on hand. I can have just enough to make those two recipes and then play with colorants. So it kind of snowballed into three and a half, four years of doing art festivals for a living and selling what I was making, getting people's feedback. And in the background, kind of working on creating a cohesive product line that I would be comfortable selling at wholesale and at retail and at shows and that would photograph well. Like there were a couple of times I had gorgeous black glazes that were this beautiful mirror finish that I could not photograph for the life of me. And I took it to my friend who's a photographer who said, change your glaze. This sucks. I can't photograph this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, going to that online economy, that was another piece that I had to kind of play with and figure out. So those first few years were just a lot of experimenting. And sometimes it was something that I absolutely loved making and loved the look of, but it turned into, you know, this piece took me 18 hours or 20 hours. And while I love doing it, that's something that I'll do because it feeds my soul. That's not what I'm going to do that's going to support my household. Right. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, and on WVLP, 103.1 FM. What what were the couple colors that you um, chose and initially, and, and where are you now with your colors? Yeah, so originally I worked entirely in black and white, and then I would pick one uh, color per season. Um, now I have a broader neutral line. I I have a friend who's a business coach, and she said to me one day, she goes, "But Rebecca, what do you what do you gravitate towards? Instead of trying to fill a hole in the market, because ceramics, there's a few specific looks to ceramics, and that's pretty much what you get." She's like, "Rather than trying to fill a hole in that market, what are you attracted to? Like, what's your favorite outfit? 
Like, well, my favorite outfit is wool pinstripe pants and some sort of neutral knit linen T-shirt and a cable knit chunky gray sweater. And she's like, okay, turn your favorite outfit into your pottery. Figure that out. So that's when I really started having fun with glazes because that has been a constant. Like, I was mistaken as a substitute teacher in the hallways in high school growing up. (laughs) (laughs) I was wearing wool trousers. (laughs) Um, so I started doing the black and white and then an accent color and that shifted from black and white to, um, my white is gloss and now my black is a matte finish. So those two textures play well off each other. And then I layered in a gray glaze that took almost eight, eight years to figure out the formula for so that it didn't shift too green or too brown or too blue. Um, and I've since then layered in a cocoa brown and I'm starting to layer in a cream and then colors that'll go with that. So right now we're working on a denim blue. I have a really pretty pale pink Very that pretty would be for spring. Yeah. So everything's kind of floating off that core assortment that's more timeless. So I found at the holidays two years ago, I had a gorgeous red glaze that people would walk up to and pick up and love and turn around and buy the white. <laughs> I was so disappointed because I wanted everybody to have red pottery. Like red is the ultimate neutral accessory. Come on. <laughs> and it just, it didn't fly. So oh, and I, it's so hard to get a, a red. I mean, a good red. Yeah. Yeah. Cause well, they generally will burn out at the higher temperatures that make stoneware functional. So most artists, potters don't mess with it because it's finicky and, I figured it out through a few years of trial and error and now I have a beautiful red. So if anybody needs it, I'll have it for the holidays again. (laughs) (laughs) So what brought you to your current studio where you're at right now? And you have uh, people there that are artists and uh, studio managers in house. So tell us a little bit about the operation. Right, And I want to, did that studio happen um, because of COVID? Is that when it all sort of happened? No. No. Um, so we were living in Angola it, at the uh, Crooked Lake. And I had this cool little cottage. I had my kilns out in a shed. We knew that I was going to have to build something. Like I was going to have to have a pole barn or something to move the studio in. And my husband is an architectural engineer. He was working in Fort Wayne at the time. We went to their office Christmas party. And we didn't eat anything. The food was way too fancy for Chris and everything had mushrooms in it and I'm allergic. Mm. So he drank, I drank water (laughs) and we're both super introverts. So we're like an hour into the party. He's had three whole beers and he's making friends with everybody. He's like, strangers are my friends now. My, (laughs) My sweet little introvert turned full extrovert. And he walked up to the the director of their Indianapolis office smacked him on the back and said, when are you going to have an office for me in, in Indianapolis? And I was just like, (laughs) what? (laughs) That's how we landed in Indianapolis. Um, So they were excited to have him come down. And I found a studio space in a shared micromanufacturing nonprofit. Um, So I had about 700 square feet. And then a year later, we had expanded enough that they told us, you know, we've got this other space on the other side of the building that's a private space that you can lease. And we ended up with about 2,700 square feet 
And then the following year added another thousand. So that's kind of where the growth started. And when I moved to Indianapolis, I hired an assistant. She was awesome. Mackenzie had, I'd, I've known Mackenzie since she was a kid. Her dad and I did art fairs together. Her dad and my friend Steve are good friends. So I've been around Mackenzie since she was maybe nine. She messaged me and said, hey, I'm in Indianapolis. I want to be your assistant. Um, what day are you moving? I'll help carry boxes. I was like, super, let's do this. So she was my first uh, studio assistant. Ended up learning all of the things that I did because it was just her and I in the studio. And then we hired three more and a couple more. And at one point last year, we had 14 people on the team. Wow. It's kind of slowed down since then with the way the economy has gone. And we now have eight people on the team. So uh, can you go a bit into COVID? Is that when um, Feed the Artists? Yeah. I think that's when I, I read about Feed the Artists. It was so intriguing. Yeah. So I was sitting at home. It's like two o'clock in the morning. I'm chatting with my husband about how concerned I am because all of my friends in the fine art groups on Facebook and all of my friends who are musicians and photographers are freaking out because if they have a side job, they know that their side job is getting canceled and they know that their gigs and shows are getting canceled. And we didn't have unemployment for self-employed people and their side gigs weren't enough to sustain them. One of them said in a post on Facebook, I don't know where my next bag of groceries is going to come from. And I'm like, ah, I got this. So we had done a hundred mugs for a client that were like the measurements were reversed. They were supposed to be three by four and they ended up four by three. Totally fine. Just not the right size. And I had said, put those aside. We'll come up with something for them. So I thought, let's put a like vintage plague doctor on these mugs, sell them at a discount. I have a friend who is a chef who does a hundred percent local uh, farm to table dinners. Who's telling me that he has these farm friends who don't know what to do with all this food they usually send to restaurants. They can't sell it at a farmer's market. Those are closed and they can't sell it to a grocery store because it's different licensing. So we got together, did the feed the artist promotion, sold the mugs, sent the proceeds to keep my people paid while they were off and also bought food boxes from Jason and the farmers that he knew and gave them to artists with no strings attached. What and a tremendous that, thing to do. Yeah. That hundred mugs sold really in is. like 36 hours. And we ended up making another thousand after that with us driving to our potter's houses and picking up mug bodies in the driveway and taking them back to the studio. And I'm putting handles on them and Chris is packing them because we were the only two in the studio for those couple months. But my team was still working in their apartments and houses around town. What a great idea with the plague doctor. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yes. yes. So how, and this is like, I know we don't have many minutes left, but how, when and how often do you decide to add a new piece to your collection or do you do that? And yeah, how much I time do, do you have for just um, fulfilling your own creative desires beyond the production end of business? So the last couple of years since COVID started, I had less than zero time for my own creative pursuits. Um, this year, I am making time for my own creative pursuits again. We add new pieces uh, once every month or two. And then depending on what it is to make it, if it's something that's simple and fun and we get joy from making it, I'll make it part of the permanent line if people are responding to it. If it's something that's really labor intensive, I may make one or two batches of it. And this year... 
created the gallery collection on the website. And those are going to be the smaller batch items that will be here and gone. So I noticed that the heart mugs, the pink heart mugs were sold out. Are they coming back or? They are. Yeah, I have 40 more that just came out of the kiln. So I need to adjust those quantities on the website because they're ready to glaze. Excellent. Well, we're about to one minute left here. So we want to give you an opportunity to tell people how they can find out about you, your website, Facebook, and whatever contact information you want to share. Awesome. So the website is gravesco.com. It's G-R-A-V as in Victor, E-S-C-O.com. And you can find me on Instagram as Gravesco and as on TikTok as Gravesco. Um, you can find me on uh, Facebook as Gravesco Pottery. I don't spend much time on Facebook. Um, and I'm sure I'm on Twitter, but I, I don't tweet. Those would be the, the main places to find me. <laughs> well, and we will have a link on your picture on our website, so that will go straight to your website. Uh, that's Rebecca Graves-Prouse, uh, part of the Graves Co. Uh, what a wonderful interview. We really enjoyed uh, discovering your uh, life story. Yeah, it went by too fast. It yeah. Sure did. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for coming on Art on the Air. Thank you. Thank you. We'd like to thank our guests this week on Art on the Air, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art on the Air is heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming live at WVLP.org, and every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, also streaming live at LakeshorePublicRadio.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard every Wednesday on Lakeshore Public Radio. Thanks to Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio, and Greg Kovach, WVLP Station Manager. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. We'd like to thank our current underwriters for Art in the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio, Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker, and for WVLP, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments. So we may continue to bring you Art on the Air. We rely on you, our listeners and underwriters, for ongoing financial support. If you're looking to support Art on the Air, we have information on our website at breck.com AOTA, where you can find out how to become a supporter or underwriter of our program in whatever amount you are able. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. You'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts-related event or exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com. Or contact us through our Facebook page. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden, and we invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself through art, and show the world